Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. Welcome. All right, so we're really excited about the stuff we're going to talk about today. And, um, excuse me. So we're going to start out uh, by reading one of the short chapters in Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. The subtitle on this, and then you'll know why we love this book, is Creative Living Beyond Fear. (sighs) Okay, so I have been using this as my, like, devotional book. So it's next to my bedside, and I wake up in the morning, and once my eyes can focus, um, then I put my readers on and read, because the chapters are really, really short, so it's that perfect little, like, happy brain snack, heart snack. Um, and a great and so, way to start the day, sort of Right. Thing. So I do that, and then, like, kind of, you know, just keep twirling that around while I'm getting ready in the morning. And... Um, I think it was last week I read this one. I was like, dude, we have got to do a section on this because it's awesome. So um, so the chapter is called The Martyr versus The Trickster. Um, and she says, in order to let go of the addiction to creative suffering, you must reject the way of the martyr and embrace the way of the trickster. We all have a bit of the trickster in us, and we all have a bit of the martyr in us. Okay, some of us have a lot of the martyr in us. But at some point in your creative journey, you will have to make a decision about which camp you actually belong to, and therefore, which parts of yourself to nourish, cultivate, and bring into being. Choose carefully. Can I pause? Yeah, do we, sure. Why not? Do we need to explain what the martyr and the trickster are? Because didn't she explain? Oh that no, we're, in she's the gonna. Oh, she's, is it coming? This is it's the one coming. that. It, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. So I know it's exciting. So okay, um, as my friend, the radio personality Carolyn Casey always says, better a trickster than a martyr be. What's the difference between a martyr and a trickster? You trickster, you ask. I did. Oh my gosh, she can read my mind. <laughs> That's good writing right there. Here's a quick primer. Martyr energy is dark, solemn, macho, hierarchical, fundamentalist, austere, unforgiving, and profoundly rigid. Remind you of anyone? Mm. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Trickster energy is light, sly, transgender, transaggressive, animist, seditious, primal, and endlessly shape-shifting. So you can see, if you've got a fundamentalist man set, I'm not reading right now, um, the trickster is terrifying <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the martyr mindset, right? Um, the martyr says, I will sacrifice everything to fight this unwinnable war, even if it means being crushed to death under a wheel of torment. The trickster says, okay, you enjoy that. As for me, I'll be over here in this corner running successful little black market operation on the side of your unwinnable war. <laughs> Martyr says, life is pain. Trickster says, life is interesting. Martyr says, the system is rigged against all that is good and sacred. Trickster says, there is no system, everything's good, and nothing is sacred. Martyr says, nobody will ever understand me. Trickster says, pick a card, any card. (laughs) Martyr says, the world can never be solved. Trickster says, perhaps not, but it can be gamed. Mm. Martyr says, through my torment, the truth shall be revealed. Trickster says, I didn't come here to suffer, pal. <laughs> Martyr, <laughs> <on that. laughs> Martyr says, death before dishonor. Trickster says, let's make a deal. <laughs> Martyr always ends up dead in a heap of broken glory, while Trickster trots off to enjoy another day. Martyr equals Sir Thomas More. Trickster equals Bugs Bunny. <laughs> And I love that she ended with that, right? Because there were so because I was raised in the martyr household, right? right? Um, I was raised fundamentalist Southern Baptist, so there are, and you know, even with all the study of Jung and this kind of thing, like intellectually, I understand the place of the trickster, mm-hmm. um, and it plays a huge role in like Native American um, uh, pantheons and religions, right? So intellectually, I have an appreciation for it, but it always had scared me a little bit, mm. right? Um, and so, and some of the descriptions she has here, that little fundamentalist, self-righteous part of me is just mm-hmm. like, but that's bad, yeah. you know? And um, and when she ended it with Bugs Bunny, it was like, <laughs> okay, 
okay, I can work with that, right? right? So I'm so glad that she gave me that little thing. And the chapter, I mean, I could just read, like, the next five chapters to you, seriously, because it's so awesome. But, um, but we'll stop there. Um, so you, you have to go get this book. It's amazing. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so it, there's, like, a lot of struggle for me in, in, in some of those spaces, right? It lets me see where I, where I need to do my work and gives me some good, um, like flags on dig here. Mm, do you know what I'm saying? Right. To kind of work with some of these ideas. Um, but, but yeah, the idea of Bugs Bunny, like I, I, I am of the generation that, that grew up when television to children was heavily regulated mm. and there were two hours on Saturday mornings and there were, what was it, an hour maybe, hour and a half in the afternoons? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all the p- cartoons that came on television. And there were no commercials allowed in between. Um, so, and Reagan lifted that. So Reagan's the one that lifted the ban on, av- used to, it used to be illegal to advertise to children because they're too impressionable. Oh, really? Yes. Hmm. I know, right? We used to live in a different world. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I grew up with Bugs Bunny. Like every <laughs> Saturday morning, Bugs Bunny cartoon, Looney Tunes cartoons were <clears throat> the best, right? right? So this idea of Bugs Bunny, like walking away to see another day, um, Fabulous. Now it makes me want to go back and watch Bugs Bunny. Con- like, like maybe we need to do a book, The Zen of Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I know that, um, so I grew up in our household, you know, my dad was like, you know, I'm going to let you choose what you want to believe. And so he, you know, exposed us to various different um, uh, things. But the religion of the dominant religion in the town where I grew up was uh, Christian. And, and there was a lot of that, um, uh, you know, occasionally we went to church and stuff. And I, I always found the whole martyr thing, um, kind of like scary, (laughs) you know, because they're like, because they were glorifying suffering. Yeah. And I just thought that was really weird. And really, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you want to, why would you portray suffering as a good thing? Right. You know, and, and just the whole idea that, you know, um, you know, God would want Jesus to suffer to prove something, you know, I was like, what? Like my dad would never ask me to get, you know, nailed to a cross to prove that so that my brother could be forgiven for something that he did, you know, like, so just that whole dynamic of, um, uh, of just like you said with the martyr, with the suffering. And, and I just, that always seemed very strange to me. And Um, it's, it's a, it's an observation that a lot of people outside of Christianity make that when you're in Christianity, you don't recognize that that's odd. Right. Right. Because it's been, that's been around you your whole life. Right. right? So like, no, of course it's what happens. And, and when you hear those observations from other people, it does get you to kind of go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and and, and I know as a teenage, see, I got in trouble in Sunday school all the time for asking too many questions. Um, and then you get called <laughs> yeah. a doubting Thomas, right? Yeah. Um, through my like interreligious studies, right? The Nah Hammadi, uh, codex was, um, a group of, of Gnostic te- So Gnostics are the Christian mystics, oh, right? Okay. So the Kabbalists are the, are the Jewish mystics and the Sufis are the Islamic mystics, right? And, and me and mystics have always gotten along. Like we like each other a lot. So, um, but there are these Gnostic texts called the Nahamadi Codex that were discovered in Egypt in 1945, right after the war mm-hmm. ended. This farmer named Muhammad was plowing his field and hit this clay pot. Um, and there is a Gospel of Thomas in there. Oh, really? Right. Whereas the sort of traditional take on Thomas is, oh, don't be a doubting Thomas, which is to ask questions and try to, right, exactly. Even though there is a verse in like the standard Bible from Paul that says, question everything, Hmm. hold what is good. Right. Right. So within the text, it tells you to do that, but... Um, but the guy gets glossed over, right? Like, because certain things. how is the guy behind <laughs> yeah. the pulpit going to maintain his power if you're questioning him all the time? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it is like, like who, who do we think, like what kind of God do we think God is that he demands the blood sacrifice, right? Right. That is very typical of pagan, like old pagan religions. Mm, right. 
Um, so it may be that that was fitting within that yeah. mindset. Well, that's what of... I finally figured out recently is that Christianity seems to be sort of this blend between sort of the old, older types of religions that was very much, you know, if you if you sin, you're going to get punished and, you know, that all that kind of stuff. And then but what I, what I finally realized is that Jesus was really about you know, saying, I'm the son of God, but I don't think he meant it Actually, as he never just called me. himself the son oh, of God. Oh, okay. He called himself the son of man. Oh, okay. So what I, I finally realized is that his his view of things was that, that God is like a father and cares about us and yeah. wants us to do good towards each other and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, oh, so there's the... It's sort of a mix-up of the old stuff the and old then the newer, and the new. and right? In Game the newer. of Thrones parlance, right, exactly. <laughs> but so it really was about uh, fostering relationship. Like right. that's how I've read those texts. When I went back and looked at them, um, I, I went through this. So I was raised in this really hateful. Um, they, they, a lot of sexism, a lot of racism. Like there's people in my family that still use the N word on a regular basis. Like that's mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. And, um, but I took, I took Sunday school like really seriously and very literally. Right. Mm. So (laughs) like the conversation, right. Right. Like the conversation around the table after church, you know, they'd say all these bad things about black people and, and it was just like, but, but Jesus loves them red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Like, I don't understand. It just never made any sense to me. It never made any sense to me. So. Um, but when I got to be a teenager, I was like, okay, you know what? If that's God, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Like, that's just not. And so I, I pushed myself away from all of that. And then, um, I was staying at like an orphanage emergency, emergency shelter, like my senior year of high school. And there was this woman there that was the art lady. Her name was Annette. Um, she lives in Colorado now and, um, she was the art lady and, um, we had been doing these drawings and she had put it together for a mural and the staff there let me stay up late with her to paint the mural in. Right. So we were having these big talks and she was a very spiritual person and she followed her husband is a uh, native American. So she was following, um, those practices. And I think at the time she still, right. It was like sort of an amalgamation of sort of Eastern things with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was the first person to, help me pop up and see this sort of bigger plan idea. Right. So she had been telling me about the things that had been happening to her. She came in, you know, mid twenties has this dream about how art's going to change the world and, (laughs) you know, decides to volunteer for this orphanage. And, um, it's telling me all these terrible things that the kids had like ripped each other's art up, that they had like threatened her that like all this stuff had happened, you know? But she just, kept, you know, crying before she went in, but still showing up every day. And for six months, she had been continuing to come to this place, like just, you know, heartbroken, um, but just kept slogging in. And I'm telling her my story about how I got there and all, you know, these court cases and things that didn't make any sense and totally weren't fair. And, um, and she says to me, don't you realize I have been waiting here for you for six months? Oh my gosh. Right. And it was the first time that I'd ever had this idea. Like I like popped out and saw these paths that were leading to that moment. Right. So, and it just blew me away. Of course I burst into tears as soon as she said it. Right. Cause it's incredible to think that there's like, I wasn't just being slammed against a wall for nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, okay, well maybe, maybe there is something Right. Like maybe, maybe, maybe there's something, some grand design or something. Right. So, and you know, like five times a week going through church doors and here I was at 17 years old and it was the first time I ever met a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. Right. That really did have this, this very kind, loving, compassion relationship, which is what I get from Jesus's teachings. Right. So, um, so I started this like religious cakewalk, right? Start like trying all these different things. And I, I, I Taoism was one of the first ones that I looked mm. into. I still have a very huge soft spot in my heart for Taoism. I absolutely adore Taoism. Um, a little bit of Buddhism. 
uh, I went to Islam at the time, but it was too much like the Bible for me. And I was mm. having a little Bible PTSD, so I couldn't right. deal with that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I just kind of did this little cakewalk, right? I think I did some Bhagavad Gita and Tibetan Book of the Dead at the time, too. And when I met my first husband, um, that got me to go back to the Bible. Like, he was an LDS, and I had been told oh. that this was this bad thing or whatever. Um, and I believed... I believed that because I didn't know what he ever told me. I didn't know anything about it. Right. So right. then I go out and find these, like these people that have made it their life mission to like tear down LDS. So I go buy one of their books. Right. Those are always reliable. <laughs> <sighs> Sarcastic eye roll. But anyway, right. so, um, uh, but anyway, I'd read one of those and, uh, that got me to go back to my grandmother's and like dust my, my, my Bible off to try to prove to him that this was terrible. Whatever. <laughs> totally didn't succeed. Fantastically. So, um, but it did get me looking at that again, right? right? And suddenly, things that I had been raised with my whole life and always been told this is what this means or this is how this looks, um, I was like, oh, that's like one of the central tenets of Taoism. Uh, you oh, started to see it all through a new lens. Right. right. Like, it, it became the door, the words became doorways or portals instead of these fixed unidirectional black and white things. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. And so, so I'd see some, you know, and then another, another line would be like one of the spokes of the eightfold path of Buddhism and another. So suddenly it's, it's like, Oh, brought this whole new aspect in. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I spent a year just reading the le- the red letters. Now, I don't know if people do this outside the South. I don't know. I haven't bought a Bible in Arizona, so I don't know what they the look like. What's the red letters? So the red letters in, in, in the South, uh, you get these red letter Bibles, and the words of Jesus are in red. Oh, right? okay. And of right. course, they do that because of the whole blood of Christ thing, whatever. I have my own opinions about that now. But um, <laughs> so, uh, but they the words of, of Jesus are in red. And so, you know, like when I was reading through before this, I was like, wait a minute. Like, there's not that much about what he says. There's all people talking about what he says right but there's not that like what did he say right Right. like i'm interested in what he was doing instead of what other people said he was doing right um so i started reading the red letters and i should try that (laughs) it's it was fascinating and it it like got me to look at it in this really different way and this very different like approach emerged from that for me Mm -hmm. right and um to the point that I don't feel like, even though I think Jesus is a rock star, the dude's so awesome, but like, I can't, um, I can't identify myself as Christian because the way I understand it is so right. radically different from the way that most people that call themselves Christian, right? right? And, and then in the, like, so then I had this awareness that that time when I had pushed myself away from all of it, I thought I was thinking for myself because I was like, well, if that's what that is, I reject it. Mm-hmm. But then I realized I wasn't, I was accepting their interpretation as true. Ah, uh, right. And, and then, then rejecting, rejecting their interpretation. Right. right. That's not actually thinking for myself. Mm, because I, I'm still accepting their interpretation as true. Right. So, and then that, when I accept their interpretation as true, then I give them power and I give that interpretation power to them. Right. Yeah. So, and this is something that has continued to be a very powerful tool for me. And, and when it comes to things like the way that Islam is portrayed, for example, Mm -hmm. are there people that, that practice Islam and see Islam in this really scary, fundy Taliban, Saudi Arabian way? Yes. But why would I give them power? Right. By saying, why would you accept only their way of, of interpreting. Right. And say that that's the true way. No, it's not. It's a, it's a disgusting bastardization. Yeah. Just like Westboro Baptist is a disgusting bastardization. Right. So like, why would I give them power? Why would I give them strength? Why would I put my money in their bank? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so that got me to like really shift how I saw that and how I saw so many other things as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then for once you, for me, once I got rid of that, then, then I can now start entertaining all kinds of perspectives, right? Cause I'm not mm-hmm. locked into this one view anymore with really tight blinders on. And so then I started seeing the story, like Jesus's narrative, the story mm-hmm. of Jesus, um, as opposed to the interpretation, cause the whole, he died for it. That's an interpretation. That's right. not something he preached. That's right. not something, but 
the story is a story about um, radicals Mm -hmm. that are operating in a very tumultuous time when you have colonialist oppressors, which Mm -hmm. are the Romans, Romans, joining up with religious fundamentalists, which are the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Okay. Um, and, And how that happens. Like, it's a fascinating socio-political and economic tale. Hmm. But we don't ever think of it that way. Right. right? And, and like, then we take this whole, oh, it was, you know, he, it was all supposed to happen that way because he's supposed to die for our sins. Well, the Romans are the ones that told us that. Right. The guys that killed him are the ones telling us it was God's plan that he be killed. What a great spin job. <laughs> To make sure that nobody freaking holds you accountable for killing somebody who's innocent. Right. Like, any wonder that we have our justice <laughs> issues these days? Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And if, no, we really, if we really were a air quote Christian nation, mm-hmm. and we really did pay attention to this story, we would have the most amazing justice system on the planet because we would never, ever, 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 ever want to persecute someone that was innocent. Right. Yeah. We would be like, okay, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Right. We had mob mentality, which is the the group screaming, crucify him, crucifying, right. Meet political, um, impotency, right. Pilot washes his hands and says, okay, pilot knew he wasn't guilty, mm-hmm. but he capitulated to the mob. Right. Right. So if we right. like look at like, okay, the court of public opinion, public officials that know better and just kind of go with the flow anyway, like there's all these kind of steps along the way that we should be paying very close attention to, to make sure that we don't get to a place where we're killing innocent people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's a lot of really good stuff. And we Isn't certainly- the whole dark ages thing, uh, come about <laughs> shortly thereafter. Well, no, that was because the, the dark ages were, uh, like European dark ages were, uh, like 800 to 1100, something like that. Oh, okay. So and that I, was later. Yeah, it was, okay. it was much was later. later, but that was once people had, but there was a lot of that fundamentalist Christianity. Oh, yeah. Like, oh yeah. That, yeah. I mean, they, they were, were the nuts. ones that totally turned the lights down yeah. just to be safe. <laughs> right. Let's right. shut everything down just to be safe. So, um, no, totally. I mean the, the, and we're, I'm. I know. I feel like <laughs> alternate reality of the handmaiden's tale, like coming true all the time with, with the stuff that I see in the news right now. But, um, but no, it's really fascinating to, to see it that way. Right. Like right. it's a, it's a completely different story and there's still so much there, mm-hmm. right. There's so many things to study and pay attention yeah. to and, and listen to and watch, but totally different interpretation of, of what, we would normally get. Yeah. You know, I think this is, um, this is going to lead per- perfectly into the second thing. That we and totally different one to than what about. I thought we were going to talk right. about. Yes. This was- I thought we were going to talk about this, like in creativity or whatever. Cause it, <laughs> of course she's putting it with the, so if we, if we do like back it into the creativity stuff, okay. like, um, how long is our segment? Oh, it's pretty long. So maybe should we do another segment for the creativity on this? Or yeah. What? Yeah. I think okay. that's like a different discussion. All right. Yeah. So, Fill up your cup again, and then join us in the next segment to go on go on to creativity in this. All right, so, so the last segment kind of took a direction I wasn't expecting it to, but it's awesome for the other stuff that we had planned today. We're seeing yeah. how beautifully it's all weaving together. But um, but yeah, the next several chapters in here, she's talking about using that trickster energy, right, to get out of this idea that that suffering, suffering, I must, I must suffer, I must suffer for my art, I must suffer for my country, I must suffer, right? Yeah, you know, and like flipping that into the trickster, and if if we if we if we think about it, like creativity is all about like flipping things, flipping things right. around, getting out of the box, not you know, so um, doing the unexpected, the twist. Right. In the story. Yeah, totally. And if you like, if you just kind of sit with it for a second, right. If you think about the martyr energy, like it's heavy, like your shoulders Mm -hmm. drop, you feel confined. Everything feels so heavy. You know what though? I I have an observation. So, um, so I've noticed this as I, as a writer, as I'm creating stories and as I'm watching stories and everything, something that I've noticed is that 
as a writer, so when, when you come in as an artist, I think at all, you want to change things up. You want to do things differently. You don't, you don't want to do it the way everyone else is doing it. Cause that would be boring. Right. And then right. you're, are you really an artist? Right. If you're not contributing something unique, that's really the goal is I want to create something new and different and fresh and something people have never seen before. And so what people do in the beginning is they try to do something really different and and then what often happens is that you find out, well, but people kind of like the usual fare, right? They, you know, there's, there's this sort of line that you have to walk where you want to make it different enough to be interesting and feel fresh and unique. But at the same time, it needs to have, it needs to be grounded with certain things that people like and that people therefore like. So if I'm going to watch a romance movie, the couple had better get together at the end, right? Like, 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 cause that's why I'm there. That's why I want to watch it, you know? And, and so it's, but then, but then as the person writing that story. My total, like, completely black clad inner 15 year old is like, oh my God, it's so vanilla, whatever. Right. Oh, we're going to get together. How predictable, right? So there's that dynamic of one part of you wants it to be different. Don't make this romance story like all those other romance stories. But you still want the feel good too, right. and so well, I think that big thing we can get into this trap of trying to, and again, that goes back to that that marriage between the head and the heart that mm-hmm. goes on in the creative process, and I, I wonder if sometimes that drive, like, no, it has to be different. Worrying more about being different than mm-hmm. being authentic. Yes, that is the key. Is yeah. when you get into this like silly novelty throw whatever where you're doing like, crazy it's, stuff right just it's just gimmicky and right. it's fake which people can't connect to right. right so when you're saying like no we still want to feel good yeah you just want to feel right yeah like, you want something to be evocative you want True. it you want to connect people mm-hmm. you want those those emotions to surface you want mm-hmm. people to have an experience with it mm-hmm. instead of it just being this like shiny little toy they're like oh what's this and then discover that there's nothing really under the right. patina and toss it away do you yeah 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 so i think that's where people sometimes it's like there's this uh push pull thing with the trickster energy i i want the unique the fun the interesting of that trickster energy but you know don't unsettle things too much right like you know so there's some resist at the same time there's a desire to embrace it and yet a resistance towards it well and i well. think authenticity unsettles things it's unsettling yeah which is why so many people we talk about it all the time but we fall away from it all the time too and yet right? the, yeah and the interesting thing about authenticity is it has both of those things it has the thing that's unsettling the twist you know the that, those deep insights, and yet it also, um, it's grounded in something very yes. real, right? Yes, exactly. And so even when it is uncomfortable or new or strange, it it still has that grounded quality. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's like it, you tap into this, like, signal that other souls pick up on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you get into that real place it wakes up the real place in other people. Right. People right. can sense it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I felt that way, too. I thought I was the only one, right? Yeah. Like, so it, it 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 sparks that connection, which is which is what, as artists, we want to facilitate. Yeah. Right? Like, and I think the other thing, too, that people sometimes under undervalue or, or don't really realize is that we all have a unique story, a unique history, a unique way that we see the world. And so, you know, my authentic story is unique. Right. Right? Because I'm unique. Because no one has lived the exact life that I've lived. And yet, in many ways, my life is very similar to everyone else's. Totally. So there's that, you know, people think they have to manufacture uniqueness. Yeah. When in fact... You uniqueness just, is inherent you are in who you unique, are, right? Just, yeah. yeah. No, it's really true. So the example that comes up for me is, um, and if you're looking at, at stories in the West and this kind of stuff, right, you, you get the same themes, the same stories over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. like, you know, in, in my degrees in literature, then you're studying like literary theory and 
there are people that say, you know, there's only eight mainframes mm. or there's only 16 mainframes and, mm. and, and seven, however, right. There's like different people have different stories, theories, right, whatever. And uh, Shakespeare did them all. So, <laughs> right. um, so, uh, yeah, so there's this kind of stuff going on, but then, um, uh, there's this beautiful book. Oh, what is the name of it? So I'm going to have to do some research to be able to put it in the, in the, the, the show, show notes. notes. Yeah. Um, but this woman was a cultural anthropologist, I believe, and she stayed with this like nomadic Arab tribe, and they have these poems, right, that that they've been carrying culturally for centuries. So it's the same like little booklet of poems, basically. I mean, it's it's an oral tradition. So, um, but the same collection of poems, but people would sing or recite the poems. When, cause you know, they'll like while they're getting work done or this kind of stuff and depending on what was going on. Right. So she's the, the one, it's a woman writing it. So she's living in, in with the women and in the women's tent. So it's a fascinating insider's view, right. Mm-hmm. To this lifestyle. And she talks and is really struck by how incredibly personal and individual these poems are depending on who's singing them. Hmm. Right. Like knowing kind of these dramas that are happening within the tribe. So if, you know, this 15 year old girl is singing this one poem while she's cooking dinner, the inflection, the emotion, the intonation, like it brings this aspect to the words that are like, wow. Right. Like she's again, turning those words into portals. Mm -hmm. Right. And even though they're the same words, she'll take you on a totally different journey with those words than someone who was singing it three weeks ago. That's two generations older than she is. Do you know what I mean? And so I, it was just fascinating, right? This idea that we think we have to do something different to make it unique, real, connectable, to bring people to a different level, you know, Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And then here's this example of using the same text over and over and over again, but each person breathing through that text, bringing this completely different aspect to what's going on there. Right. And I totally noticed that. So a few summers ago, um, two snow white movies came out in the theater at the same time. Um, mirror, mirror and snow white and the huntsman. I mean, literally based on the same story, right? It's literally snow white. Both of them totally different stories. Totally. And of course, those aren't the first interpretation. There's been dozens of other Dude, interpretations of Snow White, right? Totally. Now we have to like <laughs> write down our notes. So we need to do like a podcast on those two Snow White things. Cause right. there's, I know I loved them. There was so much going on in both, but anyway, yeah. 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 So that's, a, I mean, that's a perfect example. Yeah. And you know, and there was a, some other show like Breaking Bad and Weeds were both television shows that had almost identical premises. But again, totally different shows. They went in different directions. They explored different aspects of, right. you know, what that story could be. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that was one of the biggest ahas for me as a writer was realizing that I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I could take these stories that were already in our culture and just tell it in my way, yeah. you know, and that was going to be something unique. Yeah. Well, and I think so that that sort of idea of the martyr and the trickster, right? I think the martyr is so invested in mm. how it is, right? right. And then and then And there's also, a right way and a wrong way, right? Yes. Yes. Which is really like sends you on a on a on a tight wire, right? And anyone that has gone through like a major spiritual crisis has experienced that tight wire of well, where's the difference? Anyone trying to get out of fundamentalist mindset, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what's right and what's wrong, right? right? Like, because there is no middle ground. You're on this tightrope all the time. So, like, how do I know now what's right and what's wrong, right? And, yeah. and the mystics write about that space all the time, too. Um, but the martyr is so heavily invested in that right and wrong. This is the way it is. Taking everything so very seriously, mm-hmm. right? And um, whereas the trickster is not going to have that emotional attachment mm-hmm. to, to how things have been. Right. Not going to have that emotional attachment to um, how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So that shittiest time of the year thing right. or whatever. <laughs> like, So they're not going to have that attachment either. And certainly not going to have attachment to categories. 
of 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 what's okay and what's not, right? Like right. that ends up going. There's a very different evaluation system happening right. there. So, I a while back, I I kind of I realized that there was really only one sort of moral law that I needed to know, really, which was is someone getting hurt. Mm. And that could be so right. If you're going to do something, is going to hurt other people, and or is going to hurt yourself. Right. And if someone's getting hurt, then probably we're, not we're a not good okay thing anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And emotional, emotional, and psychic violence included in right. that. Right. Yeah, and yeah. hurt. Right. Could include all forms of pain or suffering or. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So. So I think like. Um, that using the trickster to kind of pop out to find new ways of looking at things, which means we can find new reasons to cling on to. And that fits with what I know. Oh, yeah. You want me to share my, yes. little, my little epiphany? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, I was reading this wonderful book, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It's, it's really great. It's um, um, the Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and and I got it because it's about like how to um, break out of the box that you're in, right? To push past what you've done before, and you know, take your life to a higher level, and that kind of thing. So that's what attracted me to it. Um, but I, as I was reading that and thinking about the things in there, I I actually had this other realization that was kind of related to, but different than that. And so the thing that I have been struggling with now for quite some time is that, uh, I believe that I am special and I have, you know, these great gifts to offer the world. And, and for really, since I was a teenager, in fact, I remember, I remember when I first got this idea in my head where I was going to, I was hanging out with this group of, uh, it was in high school where I got to, or middle school where I got to be with a different group of kids, and I thought, oh, this is great. This is a new start. I'll be able to, to, to start over and make new friends because I had um, um, been bullied in in elementary right. school. And so when I went to middle school, I was like, oh, I'm with new people. I can start over. And then I started to realize that these people just didn't get me and I didn't really get them. Like I wasn't interested in things that they were interested in. And, and so finally I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pretend to be someone I'm not so that I can hang out with these people. I, I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm going to be a loner and like maybe those other people don't appreciate me, but I appreciate myself. Right. Dude, you're so much smarter than I was at that age. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, well, so I mean, I'm, not my response to junior high bullying. Okay, go yeah. Ahead. Well, yeah. So that's awesome. Um, uh, so yeah. So I sort of accepted this idea, which back then was a step forward from where I had been at. Um, but now it's become this limiting belief. I realize mm. where. Um, I, I just, it's like, I appreciate myself. So why doesn't everybody else, you know, why, you know, why? Which is, I hear the martyr yeah, in that. Right. I exactly. totally hear the martyr in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so that, so yeah. So one Saturday after reading this book, I suddenly went, wait a minute. When I, every, when I make my to-do list of what I'm going to do for the day, like that day before reading it, I had actually made a to-do list of this is what I'm going to do today. Right. And it was all commitments to other people, fulfilling mm-hmm. on things that were um, something that I had committed to. Because I'm mm-hmm. one of those people, if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. And I follow through on my commitments, which is a very good thing. However, what I realized is I was putting everyone else's commitments before mine. Mm. And so my stuff, the things I wanted to do. I'm sure nobody out there can relate to that at all. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, my stuff was on the, (laughs) if I get around to it, after I'm done, after I do all my chores, right? Right, when my inbox is empty and all the laundry's done. (laughs) Exactly. Then then Cinderella, you can go to the ball, right? (laughs) Right, right. right. And guess what? I was stepmothering myself. Oh, my God. Hold (laughs) away. If I'm wearing clothes, the laundry is not done. <laughs> yeah. And I have actually walked around my house naked to try to get all the laundry done. Like, that has been my commitment to that before. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, 
Yeah, no, so yeah. you've been totally stepmothering so, yourself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I realized, I was like, oh, I haven't, you know, so what the commitment that I made to myself was, okay, so every day I'm going to make a commitment to myself to do something that is for myself. Right. And, and put that as my first priority. Cause you, you like in, in your head and I see this with clients all the time, mm-hmm. right? Like in your head, you valued yourself right? and like had this kind of martyr mentality yeah. of, well, I know that I'm fabulous and worth, you know, worth all this stuff, but no one else does. And I don't know why. Yeah. But then seeing that like you didn't have the action to back that up. Right. Yes. I had the belief but I didn't have the action. And yeah. that was and that was something I remember when I read the or watched the movie The Secret and it came out and they were very focused on belief and, and believing stuff and doing affirmations and I was sitting there going, But what about action? And totally. so, you know, that's a huge thing. It's you know, it's not that the whole manifesting stuff is wrong. It's that that's it's the step first one. Step. Right? Yeah. Totally. Step one. And again to like <laughs> pop that like pop that back into the frame of relationships so that we can see whether things are true or real or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you're in a relationship with someone who says all these wonderful things and never does anything about it. Right. They say they'd appreciate you and then don't show do it. it with right. Action. Never show yeah. anything to appreciate you. They say that they're committed but Right. They like keep like every other week they're traipsing off somewhere or, you know, no, I totally value and support you, but won't like watch the kids so you can take a night class. Like, you know, like, okay, you know, telling me that you support me and then not helping me around the house and not helping me with the kids and not like every time I need to like take the day off to do homework, you're like, do you have to today? Like yeah. that, then your words of support mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. Right. And the, and the thing is too, is that the person who's doing that has to realize it and be the one to make that change and back it up with action. Because otherwise the other person is going, well, you don't appreciate me. And they go, no, I don't. I appreciate you. And, and they believe it. Right. And yeah, so that's right. the thing is it's, you know, if you truly believe, well, yeah, I appreciate you, you know? So there has to be that awareness. Action has to be there. And so, like, we can see that really clearly in relationships. I think we have all been in relational situations and we have been that for other people too right. where we're doing yeah. it um, but we've we've all been in those relationship situations where we're like this means nothing if there's not action to back it up and the same thing happens inside of us if mm-hmm. we we can have a fantastic belief system but if we are not backing that belief system up with action right. it doesn't mean much yeah and um, that's when i realized that oh so the reason I'm not getting that level of, of appreciation from the world that I think I should be getting is because I wasn't, that I wasn't level fully of embodying it. I was embodying it, you know, in my awareness, but I wasn't embodying it with action. And so I was getting back from well, the world partial appreciation, right? I, I mean, it's not that nobody appreciates me. People do appreciate me, but not to that higher not, degree, not, what you not to the full degree. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really important. And I think one of the places that we, and we're kind of moving into like implementation station or whatever, but one of the places where we can look and see whether that's real or not, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do I do, am I really living my values? Am I really living my beliefs as opposed Mm -hmm. to just talking about it? Right. And there's these, there's these memes on Facebook. They're like, your beliefs don't make you a better person. Your actions do. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, so you can talk about whatever you believe, but it doesn't mean anything until you've, you're living that. Right. And like, look at your to-do list. That's mm-hmm. going to tell you where your priorities are. Yeah. Look at your calendar. Yeah. That's going to tell you where your priorities are. Look at your bank book. That's going to tell you where you're, on? right. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your energy? Yeah. And, and if you're not showing up on that or the things that you say you value aren't showing up on that, Mm -hmm. then, then there's some work to do to close the gap between stated values or stated beliefs and and practiced values or, 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 or action to back that up. Right. So, um, and you know, as a country, like we can look at our budget (laughs) and find out what's actually important to us. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are we okay with the values 
that that our national bank book says we stand behind, mm-hmm. right? I know I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm not. I, you know, but but it is something yeah. like okay, let's get real here and yeah. quit like the whole snail snake oil salesman pitch, right? Um, like yeah, let me let me see your bank book and that's going to show me, right? You know where where you real put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. yeah, and and then another practical aspect of that too that people can do is. To, you know, think about where, how do you not like the way the world is treating you? And then ask yourself, okay, where are there ways that I'm treating me in that same way? Yeah. And and the key thing when doing that is to not, when you discover those ways that you haven't been, you know, treating yourself the way you should be, um, is to not blame yourself and, and judge yourself. And that was something that, you know, this is the reason that it was a revelation for me and not a, I've done this horrible thing, right? Is because I, when I had that moment of realization, I, I, it was just like the forehead slap moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't, no wonder, like, it's all so clear. Like, how did I miss this? You know? So that's the, you know, when you come across those things, that's the, the energy and the, the attitude, to have is oh totally. I missed it and, and again that's it. getting into the trickster instead of the martyr right yes because the martyr would say oh shame on you yeah you now I have to do penance right <laughs> right now I have to suffer more because I suck you know what I mean like <laughs> I've been so bad <laughs> right which is not gonna change it's still not changing anything right right yeah. so and I and I think too um yeah, like going into that that martyr attitude, trying to change your life or or the world around you, like it just and kind of linking that Brene Brown work into it too, right? It's totally it, its power source is that shame and blame, mm-hmm. which yeah. actually makes things worse, yeah. Rather than and the trickster is like you said is is interested, right? And so when you it's when you discover something that you've been doing wrong, the trickster is like ah, gotcha. <laughs> right and ooh, now things are going to be different. This is going to change things up. Isn't this going to be interesting to see where I can take my life now that yeah. I have this new understanding? Well, and it's interesting too because I know like that the trickster is going to be much better able to maneuver its way out once once you've like woken up and realized. Wow. Oops. That was uh, <laughs> not bad. what I wanted. You know, yeah. um, like if you're stuck in that shame blame thing, then you just kind of sink into that space. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, then you want to hide it. Right. And then everything starts closing in on you mm-hmm. and oh my God, I screwed up so bad. Like, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of it. Like mm-hmm. I was doing the best I knew how to do right. and my best obviously sucked because right. of what just Wasn't happened. Yeah. yeah, totally. And whereas the trickster is like, whoo, okay, that's not working. Okay. What are our other options? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's get like, creative. Yeah. I totally yeah. need to go find some Looney Tunes cartoons. Now I'm going to start like <laughs> studying Bugs Bunny. <laughs> He's going to be my new teacher. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of seeing that like, okay, all right, this isn't working. So now what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the way that you maneuver yourself, maneuver yourself out of it and, and, and go on to learn the next lesson. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about something that came out of our discussion um, a a few nights ago, Um, and it's something that has kind of bothered me for a while and sort of been festering, and now I feel like... I told you I quit touching your touch screen. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sorry. (laughs) Please don't touch my screen. Yeah. All right, no, is it more serious than that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it isn't that. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, so it's sort of, you know, with this whole thing with Donald Trump, right. In the election. Yeah. And, um, so I was really shocked at first I thought, oh, he's just like this crazy extremist and no one's going to give him the time of day. And then when people started really listening to him and now he's got all these followers and everything, it made me go, oh my gosh. 
the time is now. People are finally ready for a change. Because the thing that's frustrated me about our political system is that everyone seems to know it's broken, but no one's willing to do any... Well, I shouldn't say no one, but the majority of people... And there would be those that say, it's not broken, it's doing what it was always supposed to do. Right, yeah. Um, But (laughs) although I love this, that you looked at that and went, people are ready for change. Like, that's the most, like, Leslie Nope... Like interpretation of his rise to power or yeah. her popularity. Well, I mean, it's scary too. Like, I am kind of scared. Like, whoa! Like, really? Yeah. Um. So right. So there's the but way of looking much at much more it. positive way to right. to look at that and say like, okay, this is a harbor. This is misdirected. Like. Right. Misdirected, we could say, but uh, well, and he's but buying, yeah, the impulse to change is definitely there. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's playing off of this thing that's been in politics for a really long time, which I call the election fairy tale, which is the story of it's a scary world out there, and you're a helpless victim, and I, the candidate who is so much better than all those other candidates out there, am going to save you from. You know, fill in the blank, whoever they're against. The evil. The evil. Fill in the blank. Yeah. (laughs) Whether it's, you know, the Democrats are talking about, oh, it's it's the system or it's those greedy business people, those greedy corporations and or, you know, or it's the people saying it's, oh, those Muslims, you know, whatever, like... Right, it's the evil, whatever, the fill in the blank, yeah, right, right, those right, liberals. Right. Those, those dirty liberals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this is, this is like, this is the game that goes on, right? Is yeah. that people get up there and they say, oh, it's so scary out there, I'm gonna save you. And here's the thing, when has a politician really ever saved us? Right. I mean. Politicians <laughs> follow. Right. Yeah. They don't usually lead. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, the reality is, it's always been a scary world out there. However, it's also a beautiful world out there. Mm. And so, unfortunately, what the you know the way this story goes is they've got to play up the scary parts of it, right? So that they can come in as the knight in shining armor, right? Right, 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 right. And so, I think now, as part of this shift that that we both sense is going on in the world is it's really time for people to come to that realization that you're not helpless. Absolutely. You know, we do have a voice. We do have power. And even though you may say, well, what's my one little vote in amongst, you know, this whole big system? Well, it's it's one. Yeah, you have one vote. And so does a lot of other people. Right, right, right. right, right. And so when those one little votes come together... That's where you can get change and momentum and totally. things happening. And so I loved know. the. It was one of the themes that emerged during the the Obama campaign, and you definitely saw. And I think there were a lot of people that thought Obama was going to save us. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they thought he was going to change, and but there were these themes that came up during the campaign, and one of them uh, was, and I love this. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Yes. Yeah. Right. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. I just love that. And, um, uh, but yeah, that theme that he was going to save us was definitely there. And yeah, and, and he and so, got grant, you know, and then he appointed Mons, right. Also like he got, well, and he appointed Monsanto people in his cabinet like yeah. straight out. And I was like, is it some kind of like political Jedi move? Right. Like I was right. like really hoping like, that, and then it's like, yeah. oh no, he's, he's, well, and I think that's another but, thing where, where Trump, is getting credibility from is that people think, well, he's not a politician. He's a businessman. Right. And he's so he the one that owns done. the politicians. Right, exactly. And- <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna find out on his path. Like, right. no, it's the, the politicians are owned and he's the guy that owns them. So he's just gonna cut out the middleman, I think. But um <laughs> Well and the and the thing too is that I the you know, as I, I look at this and laugh, is that, well, there is a difference between being, when you're in charge of a company and you hire people, you know, you can tell them, hey, you're going to do things this way because you're paying them to be there and to do things your way. Right. Uh, politics isn't like that. You can't just lay down the law and say, people were doing it this way. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the business community certainly says that to politicians. Oh, because they're the ones paying, right? (laughs) 
Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. The politicians are their employees. So, right. which is, which is, I think what we've been seeing, right, is that this is not of the people, by the people, for well, the people. Well, it's the two bosses. So I've had this happen in jobs before where, so let's say you have the owner of the company, because I've worked for a lot of small companies where you like know the owner. So you have the owner of the company who says, this is our philosophy. This is the way we do things here, right? And so... They're, they're technically your boss, right? They're the highest person in the organization. But then you have your supervisor, your immediate boss. And they're wanting different things from you. So when you have this thing where you have the boss who is your supervisor, they're practically speaking your boss. They're the ones who can fire you. And what they're telling you to do is in conflict with what the big boss is saying should be done. That puts you in a really tight position, right? It's like, well, which boss do I listen to, right? Who, you know, and if I don't do what this boss wants, I get fired. If I don't do what that boss wants, I get fired, you know? So you have to play this game of trying to, like, tiptoe around and make it. And so I think that's where a lot of politicians are because they really have two bosses. They have the people, the electorate, right? And then they have the people who contribute to their campaigns and make it possible for them to get elected. So... And, and and not that they're all like innocent or well, you yeah, know, no, but I think, but I, think they, I also see that they are also in I a think tight they feel position. so much more beholden to uh, to the people that have put the money in their pocket, and it it which is why we need massive campaign reform, right. reform which right? is why like, the yeah. there should be <laughs> no private donations allowed, and you go through a process to become a candidate, and then you get public money, and everyone has the same amount of money, right? And you have to figure out how to use that money, and no private contributions are allowed mm-hmm. at all. There are many other countries that have this system. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's it, they have it so that they don't have the this system that we have it. now, right? right. Yeah. Um, but I, I to go back to the idea of the political narrative, oh, we don't have our clock up. To go back to the idea of the political narrative um, and the way that people work on that, like these sort of meta meta themes that come up, right? That you're that we're helpless, that they need us to save them, um, that they're the good guys and everyone else are the bad guys, right? Like um, they do it because it works, right? Yeah. Um, and so, oh, 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 how I long pray and work for the day. When, and I, you know, we're doing this here and everyone listening, please, like, now the torch is being passed to you. Like, when it gets to the space when people recognize someone who is whipping up fear Mm -hmm. in our communities, who is dividing our communities against one another in order to gain their position, is incapable of leading our community. Right. Right? Like. Because the the reality is, once you're in office, you are not just beholden to one political party. Right. You now have to be there for everyone. You are there for the entire community. Mm-hmm. You are there for the greater good, right? And um, and that's not the reality that's happening that's happening right now, yeah. that, right? Um, and it's ripping us to shreds, right. right? So we need people that can bring us together. We need people that are going to help us work those conflicts out. They're going to help us hear one another. Mm-hmm. They're going to help us find solutions to help us get through these tough places and see the common humanity in each right. other so that we can work together to get yeah. the stuff done that has to get done. And, and as soon as we recognize that people that get us to hate our neighbors are ripping our white, if they're going to... If they're going to rip our communities to shreds every two years, yeah, like that's, don't give them, yeah, don't give them the vote. Yeah. Like that's clearly violating the basic premise of this office. Yeah, and it's gotten to the point where everyone is doing it. All the candidates are doing it again because it works. Right. And if we want them to stop doing it, we have to stop accepting it. Right. And you know the it'll only stop working and they'll stop doing it when we stop believing it, when we stop right. buying into it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so something that, uh, sort of, I realized, I got to thinking about, you know, after you and I were talking about this, um, at, at your house party is that, you know, we have this concept of the American dream and usually that's sort of this, you know, uh, is the house with a white picket fence and a steady job so you can support your family and all this kind of thing, which is great. 
But that's not really what the American dream is. The American dream... Well, and that's a living nightmare for a lot of people, right? There's a lot... If they're trying to live up to that, you mean? Also, but then the people that get exploited so that everyone can have it. Oh, right. Quote, unquote, everyone can have it so that more people can have it. But that's another podcast (laughs) for another day, right? Right. Because it's the American dream for some and the American nightmare for many, 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 many others in other places around the world and here in the States. Gotcha. But yeah. That is it. Yes. We will... I'm curious to learn more about that. It's a very materialistic... (laughs) Yeah. It's a very materialistic view of this. But you have... So yeah, so so what I realized is that really the American dream is, as I see it, is the freedom to create your own future. And so, you know... So say that again, so our hearts (laughs) can just like... So the, Let the honey of that (laughs) drip slowly over our being. Yeah. Yeah. The American dream is the freedom to create your own future. And I got to thinking about, you know, how people came over to this country and it it was to escape the establishment in many cases. Um, I mean, it wasn't all wonderful and glorious, you know, coming over to the world. No, since we, like, enslaved one group of (laughs) people to commit genocide on another and do a major land grab. But, right. But, okay, so acknowledging that, so acknowledging (laughs) that it wasn't all roses and and, uh, beautiful, wonderful, good intentions, that, you know, really a a major, what was great about America and why people were willing to fight for us to be an independent country is because we were establishing a society where we could create our own future and live according to our own values and according to our own religious values. Um, practices and and so while it may not have been paradise it was still a step up from the places the established societies where you had to practice a certain religion and you had to fit into the social structure and you had to you know do what have whatever career your parents or society or you know your caste said that you had to be right so it was or what your last name said you were right right? exactly Yeah. yeah and so 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 that was what was beautiful yeah. about early America is that it was the a place, idea. right? Yeah. Or the idea totally. of it, <laughs> right? Totally. No, it's <laughs> one of those that, like the words were so beautiful. And when we look at like when we expand our view of history or knowledge of history at the time, then we see that they were never really true. But but I but I I feel like those words, that idea, is the flame in every awakened heart. Do you know what I mean? There is this sort of like, like that I, the speech where Martin Luther King talks about, I've been to the mountaintop, right? Like you, you go to that mountaintop and look over the edge and see this glorious city of light and, and just recognize that this is a place where there is freedom to fully be who you are, freedom to use the talents you've been given, freedom to, to, to chart your own path, your own way, your own future, right? Like that, if, and if we yeah. don't have that, what do we have? Right. Right. If, if, if having the white house or the picket fence means I'm locked in to pay for the mortgage right. <laughs> for that. Right. Then, to your mortgage. Right. Yeah. Then, then, <laughs> then that, that dream is a chain gang. It's right. not right. And, yeah. um, as, as opposed to freedom. So, yeah. and this is where we have the opportunity to take that ideal, which is an ideal, yeah. And actually do something real with it. Like, let's. Right? Like, do it make, again. Let's but do it right the this words time. True. Right. right. <laughs> oh, there's a George Michael line. What is it? Is it in the song Freedom? But he's talking about take these. Yes, take these lies and make them true somehow. Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, now I gotta go listen to that song. <laughs> gotta bring that up on the YouTube's and do a little spinny dance before I head off to motorcycle class today. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so the challenge that America is facing now is that now we've become the established society, and now we have you know our leaders in air quotes dividing us against each other and trying to you know place some groups in a higher higher position than others, or right. this religion is better than that religion, and. And so, you know, we're at a real crossroads yeah, where we're, you know, we're, it's like we can either just be another civilization with their own, you know, rules and prejudices, or we can choose to transform into that ideal 
I mean, these lies true somehow. Yeah. Okay, so obviously uh, we could talk for like multiple episodes about that. And um, we really want y'all to go onto the Facebook page and tell us what that brought up for you. Give us your objections, ask questions. Like, let's let that's the conversation starter and let's move from there. So, like, what narratives are you seeing? Like, just talk a little bit more about that election fairy tale, what you see happening, how you're responding to that. Um, and let's get a conversation going on that because I think it's a very important conversation. And we have awesome news because we are live on, po- we are live on iTunes Yay! as of like today. Yeah, Yay! officially. We were hoping to get up last time, but we ran into some technical. Yay, Mercury retrograde. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're now officially out of the shadow, and we went up to iTunes today. So um, yeah, so we're so we're on there. So uh, go in and subscribe, and tell your friends, and um, yeah, and it's, then yeah, and it's really definitely you know the more subscribers that we can get, the more you know positive comments and reviews we can get on iTunes. That will help us um, hopefully get featured in the new and noteworthy that section. Would be awesome. On iTunes, it's basically the first five weeks. If your podcast does really good, really well in those first few weeks, then they'll feature you on the podcast, the iTunes homepage for a podcast, um, which then will just right bring this so message let's to so just many more like, people. Let's like <laughs> pass the torch and spread the love light, and yeah. So uh, tell your friends and and get on to iTunes and make comments and stuff like this. I don't. I don't know how the iTunes stuff works. So Yeah, you just, um, and we'll put a link on our Facebook page too, so you can click through to the link. And then if you go on to iTunes to the podcast section and search for Kitchen Table Alchemy, they did say, so this is Sunday the 7th of yeah. February, and the email that I got from iTunes did say that it might take a couple of days for it to show up in search. So if you're not finding it on search, to so go to- well, I found it. Oh, you did find yeah. it right away? And then oh, okay. uh, we had house guests this weekend, so one of my house okay. guests found it this morning, too. Okay, so great. So just able- search for so Kitchen Table So I can Alchemy. find it, and my house guests can find it, <laughs> and we're like, how does this work? Like, looking through our readers, like total grandma trying to figure out the remote control. But um, So if we can figure it out... You guys are awesome. You'll totally be able to figure it out. Absolutely. So cool. And then definitely go on the Facebook page, too, and share your questions, your thoughts, your feedback about what we can do to start creating the world that we really want. That we want. Yeah, absolutely. See you around the campfire.